We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out bluewirepods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. I'm joined by my co-host Nick Bellato. On today's podcast, we are going to break down my three-round mock draft picks that the Giants made, trades the Giants made, picks for all the teams. We're going to break it all down. This is how I see it playing out based on team needs, fits, uh, with a little bit of fun mixed in. I'm not so sure some of these trades will be pulled off, and they will. Obviously, the draft will change a bunch if they're not, but... If they are pulled off, this is how I see it shaking out, and we'll see what Nick thinks about my my selections for the Giants and also how the draft plays out. But we're going to start things off right now with the mock draft, Nick. So let's kick this bad boy off with the first three picks before the Giants are on the clock. So for me, I got Joe Burrow going one, and I got Chase Young going two. Do you see any any issues with that? No, nah, it's hard to really get any issues from that. It's kind of the consensus, but what's going to happen is what I expect to happen. And, you know, every year they always have these fanfare shit where people think that crazy shit's going to happen with the first pick and even the second pick with this upcoming draft. I, I don't see that happen. I think it's going to be Burrow Young, but it gets really interesting at three, doesn't it, Dan? Yeah, and I was even saying, you know, with my Young write-up, uh, I believe it. if the pre-draft process was normal, it's possible the Redskins could have pulled the Cardinals and went drafted to a trade at Haskins, but... In the end, this dude's a Maryland native. He's expressed how much he loves the home and wants to play for the Redskins. Those type of things, just Dan Snyder, their owner over there, he just eats them up. He eats them up, and he's going to get Chase Young there. And it's not good for the Giants because he's probably not the best 
probably the best edge prospect in the last five years. And that's a, a five-year span that included the Boza brothers. So not good. Not good at all. But the Giants will have to find a way to deal with that. And then at three, things get interesting in my mock. And they get even more interesting at four. But at three, they get really interesting where I just don't see the Dolphins taking a chance. I think they trade up, they swap three and five, and they get two. I know that goes against what we're hearing now, Nick. But I'm a big believer in not buying into what I'm hearing about the draft with seven days to go. I, I like what, what what you say there. But at the same time, like I, I feel like there's some people I trust where I've been hearing that the Dolphins were kind of always in on Herbert and they were hush-hush about it. And that's going to be the course of action. I guess, you know, we'll find out Thursday. I wouldn't be shocked either yeah. way. But I think there is some steam and some momentum that was kind of quiet and now is kind of coming up. But, hey, that happens every year with these smoke screens and stuff. So if it is Tua, the tank for Tua, all that shit that we heard all throughout the season, right. hey, it was real, you know? Yeah, I almost feel like what you said is actually what I feel to people I trust were saying that they've been in on Tua for a long time. And regardless, I don't think it will impact this mock much if they trade up for Tua or Herbert. Um, I shouldn't say that because it depends what happens, I guess, then at at, five, at six with the Chargers. But in this mock with the Giants on the clock, Nick, I have them making a big move here. I have them trading with the Cleveland Browns. So what the Giants do is they give up number four, and in return they get number 10 overall. Number 41 overall, number 97 overall, Nick. I use R.J. White's uh, CBS Sports Traft trade value chart. I explained this a little bit on the last podcast, Nick, but it factors in recency, uh, how the NFL has made trades in recent years, um, and uses kind of an advanced way to look at trading rather than that Jimmy Johnson old-school chart that no teams use. Not even not even Dave Gettleman used it. I was so surprised to hear him say in the presser. I, was th- I thought when they asked him that, you know what, something, it, it's really sad to admit, Nick, but... I have been a little, like, when I just think of the draft randomly, like, in the shower, whatever I'm doing, sometimes I just think about what's going to happen in the draft, what's going to happen in the draft, because that's how I'm wired. Uh, Obviously, (laughs) I wouldn't be doing this podcast if I wasn't wired that way, and, you know, I wouldn't base my whole career around this, but when it comes to that, I sometimes think, like, does Dave Gettleman even have the right draft trade? Or like, I, I really worry about like him in trades with GMs. Like, I think he's a, a, a good, solid talent evaluator, and he's been in the business for a while. I just don't know if I think he's like a modern GM who can maximize trades. So I was actually happy to hear him say he's not using the Jimmy Johnson chart. And, and there's guys in his ear kind of giving him some direction on these trades because I think he'll need it. But in this trade, they do pick up that premium second-round pick, and they add a third-round pick and a draft with a lot of depth. Why do I think this could happen? I think the Browns, we talked about them in the last pod, but they're just so depleted on the inside off-ball linebacker spot that a guy like Simmons, if they view him as highly as we do, as one of the best blue-chip players in this class, maybe the second-best non-quarterback, they could make this move. They have the, the firepower to do it. They have the roster in place already. If Mayfield, of course, it's all dependent on Mayfield playing more like 2018 Mayfield and pretty much all like 2018 Mayfield, 2018 Mayfield and none like 2019 Mayfield. And I still have my concerns with Baker in general. But um, if if they believe he can get back there, adding a guy like Simmons could be a final piece that turns them into a contender. I don't think they're as far as of a, off as other people do, especially after adding Conklin uh, in free agency. So then... At four, at five, we have the Lions sitting there and taking Jeff Okuda. So your thoughts so far through the top five? I think it's uh, interesting, man. Like we talked about in the last podcast, trading back to the Browns and the Giants, and we're not sure what's going to happen yet because we haven't revealed the whole mock draft. But if the if the Giants end up getting a tackle with that 10th pick, I think it would be an absolute home run. And I think Steve Wilkes, man, who's the Browns defensive coordinator, used to be the Arizona head coach, was with Carolina as their defensive coordinator. I think 
him with a prospect like Isaiah Simmons could be an incredibly creative defense for that 4-3 front that they run. And you can kind of just really put – you could put Simmons at will. You could put him at Mike. You could definitely do that. You could put him at Sam. Put him in slot. Do, save. You really could do whatever the hell you want. So I think that's something that that defense truly needs at the second level because you look at the front. You got Larry Ogunjobi, the kid from Charlotte a couple of years ago. You have Miles Garrett, obviously. You have some talent, talented pass rushers, some guys who are solid against the run. I really like that pick for the Browns. Hopefully, hopefully they'll really look to uh, do that because that'd be great for the Giants to really get those day two picks. And then Akuda, man, that would be great for the Lions, bro. You know, they they trade back. They still get the guy that a lot of us think they're really interested in, in Jeff Okuda. I think that's a realistic uh, course of action. I'm not sure if that trade would happen right now with Miami. It's just what you like, like you alluded to earlier, we've been seeing so many different things and so many smoke screens come up. So we're not sure how much these teams are actually interested in moving up or moving down, but yeah, I think that'd be great for the Lions, too, to trade back, recoup a couple picks, and still get Okuda, and Miami gets their quarterback of the future. Yeah, no doubt. And then at six, I have the Chargers staying patient and taking Justin Herbert. I believe that—I've said this for a while with Herbert. Based on the success that I've seen with Josh Allen, the NFL level, a player who I would unbelievable amounts of concerns with going into the draft and still have my concerns with long-term because I don't like players who just can't stay on schedule in the passing game. And I really haven't seen that, but so far it hasn't mattered because he's been able to make so many plays off schedule and, and with his legs to make up for it. But Herbert to me is Josh Allen with more upside as a, as a, as a rhythm passer and even more upside when you consider the fact that he was playing completely out of, out of a system that fits his skill set uh, at Oregon. It was just that Oregon system under crystal ball was power run, throw the perimeter, power run, throw the perimeter. The opposite should be going on with Herbert. He should be in a, in a heavy play action, vertically oriented offense. I think the chargers see it. I think they see that they've been building their offensive line and they can have him sit a year behind Tyrod Taylor because everybody knows Justin Herbert needs to get better at processing after the snap. That's one of his biggest concerns with him and staying on schedule in a rhythm passing game is another major concern with him. But those are things that you can maybe get better at if you learn behind, you know, a true a, tr- a veteran like Tyrod Taylor. And then that's when it starts to get interesting, Nick. At seven, I have the Buccaneers trading up from 14 all the way to seven. And I have them landing Jedrick Wills. Why? They're set at left tackle. They let Dotson go in free agency, so they need a right tackle. And as far as day one right tackles go, who's ready to help them on day one? And don't be don't be fooled. The Bucks aren't going to be like the Giants and Joe Judge who said we're not going to draft a player just because we think he's ready for day one. We're we're thinking long term. The Bucks need to be thinking short term with Tom Brady as their quarterback. They got a two year window basically, so they got to make this thing work. So I have Wills as their best bet there. And then it gets interesting again because I have Tristan Wirfs to the Cardinals. I love that fit too. Again, they have Humphreys on the left side. They need to upgrade the offensive line. And Wirfs is a guy who I think fits Cliff Kingsbury's system the best because they can get him in space on all those bubble screens they like to use and those quick hitters and get him on the move to block ahead on those plays. And then things get interesting again. But first, let me let me feel out how you're feeling now. If you're if you're the Giants and the Giants, let's say this actually happened, Nick, and the Giants traded down and then bang, bang, seven, eight, Wills and Worfs go off the board. <laughs> yeah, you guys know the Key and Peel meme where uh, Jordan Peel's just sweating profusely and just kind of looking straight. I think I would do that even knowing that the Giants have four offensive tackle prospects that I'm comfortable with and the math doesn't add up. But I would start to really start to sweat once I see Will. I'm like, all right, Tredrick Wills is gone. You trade back. You're going to lose out. I'm like, eh, fine. And then I see Wirfs, and I'd be like, oh, shit, it's starting to get a little hot in here. And then um, with that ninth pick, that ninth pick, I think I'd really start sweating even knowing that 
we or the New York Giants, I should say, are selecting next. Sure. And for me, like the way way we've kind of gone over this, I I don't I definitely have uh, Wills as my OT one. He's the guy I want the most for the Giants. Definitely. And then for OT two, I'm just so damn high on Becton, Nick. And I know not everyone else is, but I'm so freaking high on Becton that I don't know who I want more, Becton or Werfs, because I like Werfs a lot too, and his upside long term is awesome. Honestly, with Becton, dude, like I, I I know exactly what you're saying, but a lot of the concerns with him are it's like projection, and it's the fact that he hasn't done it a long time, and he has yeah. weight issues. It, it's things that aren't necessarily stuff that you see on the field. It's because of the offense that he played in at college. And then you see he's doing that work with Duke, Manny, whether a lot of you, I don't know if you guys know who he is, but he, um, he d- does a lot. He runs an offensive line academy, and he's really active and vocal on Twitter. And Beckton, and I know he has this diluted test and all that shit that's going on with him right now. I don't think that's going to really affect the overall evaluation. Or what What was the test exactly, Dan? It's a diluted test, but again, why I'm yeah. not putting any weight behind it is because he has zero issues throughout his entire career at Louisville. No other failed tests. No other anything. This is probably just an example of somebody trying to get underweight for the combine because the NFL is putting way too much importance in the combine and numbers like that. And he doesn't want to be another, you know, guy who gets, who gets, who becomes an outlier in any of these regards. So he probably tried to do something to help him, you know, get to a certain weight or get to a certain point to combine. Nothing I'm worried about though, because listen, anything that's gone on with him and his weight and anything like that has been, you know, directed from a college program. There's only so many resources that these college players have to work with and that the staffs have to provide them with at that level when they're still amateur athletes. Once they get paid, that's a whole different story. Now you've got people focused whose entire job is going to be focused on getting Makai Becton or whoever, you know, at the right playing weight or, you know, in the right position to give himself the best chance to be a a successful professional athlete. So those things never worried me. And we came into the combine, what, like 260-something? He was probably playing a little bit. 360-something, yeah. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, that's what I meant. (laughs) Big difference. But uh, that's what I meant. Uh, But he was probably playing a little bit more than that. And he still had those movement skills and the freakish ability that he was able to show. So uh, I I think his upside is just through the roof, as we've said several times on this podcast. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might be thinking – there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Are you missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest, all open 24 hours a day and all online. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE, that is BLUEWIRE, all one word, to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. Yeah, and 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 I don't and and with Becton for me, you mentioned something really important with the with the Mayweather thing. Duke Mayweather, a guy who tackled, we've we've seen a track record of offensive linemen working with Mayweather and improving immediately. And what Mayweather's done, which is awesome, is that he's put out a lot of the work he's done with Becton, who he, by the way, says is one of the hardest workers he's ever worked with. By the way, you love to hear that that the guy's working hard. And what Jeremiah said is he saw some of the work that Daniel Jeremiah of NFL Network said he saw some of the work that Becton's done with Mayweather, and he's seen immediate 
immediate improvement in some of the things that bothered him with what he saw on his tape. This is a guy who gets knocked for not having that many true pass sets at Louisville. Sure, that's a fair thing to knock him for. But what if it doesn't matter? That's nothing. That's a knock that, to me, Nick, that doesn't always translate because just because you haven't done a lot of pass sets, and we know Andrew Thomas has had the most pass set, doesn't really mean much to me for a lot of reasons, and mainly because the competition that these guys are going up against at the collegiate level is just so different. A lot of times they're matching up against guys who are either undrafted or fourth or late round picks. In the NFL, there's no such thing. The guys who end up starting and and match and you're, the guys you're matching up against on a weekly basis are not those fourth round UDFAs because those guys, unless they you know are awesome players that got underdrafted, but most of the time it's guys who rose to the top. It's the cream that rises to the top. So for me, Beckton, it's the improvement I've seen him make with Mayweather. It's just the simple thing with Beckton that it doesn't always look pretty with Beckton, but if he but it doesn't always matter because he's just so quick with his feet and so long and big 99th percentile in hand size, 99th percentile arm length, 99th percentile weight and, and height 99th percentile. It's so hard to get around this guy. And even if it doesn't look pretty, I don't care if these guys are struggling getting around him. Yeah. Like Krebs said, man, he has a gravitational pull about him. So it's kind of hard, exactly. Like him in quick game, it's even if he sucks so bad coming out of his pass set, just trying to get around him and bend around somebody that long and somebody with that much width and that much takes up that much space, it's fucking difficult, bro. Exactly. It's just a sheer and 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 th- now my one concern, and I don't want to actually. We're gonna get to this because Becton's gonna be picked within the next two picks. So let's save a little bit of this and let's dive back into the mock actually, and then we'll get back to Becton there because we <laughs> kind of jumped the, jumped the shark there on it. But but hopefully people won't care. Then at nine, I have a team trading up. So this is where I would start to get a little concerned because Worfs and Wills are off the board. And I personally want Becton considerably more than I want Thomas. Now, I won't get that concerned because, like I said on the last show, I'm fine with the Giants getting Thomas. I really am. There's safety to it. There's You're going to get a, pro- a solid starter, and you're going to get someone who has experience on the left side. And he does have awesome length. I like his wingspan. I have my issues and concerns with him evolving into an elite player at the position or even a very top tier player. I think there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a few, you know, non-zero scenario there's a lot of scenarios where he just ends up being a pretty average to above average starter which to me is is not great uh when you're when it means you're giving up simmons and wills and wharfs and beckton guys i see really high ceilings for but again i'm fine with it but luckily in this scenario it's the jets who trade up two spots from 11 to 9 because they don't want to take a chance. They don't have the same luxury the Giants have. They need somebody who can start right away at tackle. That's how desperate they are there. And they want someone who can start right away on 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 Sam Darnold's blind side and who could fit their system better. And that's why I think they're going to be more interested in this scenario in Thomas over Beckton. They don't have the t- as much time to wait there. And not that the Giants have so much time, but they have more time in that regard because they have Fleming and because they have Solder and maybe even Nick Gates there at the tackle position. Um, and so I feel like the, the 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 Jets will make the move to trade up and get their guy, and that's Thomas. And then at 10 overall, Nick, I got the Giants taking my boy here, Mekhi Becton. So before I dive back into Becton, I want to say the thing that makes me most excited about Becton, Nick, and you could tell me if you agree or disagree with this, is when I watch him. And by the way, cool thing, Duke Mayweather, who's working with Becton, put – Put a video, put a series of videos out on Twitter. And if anyone wants to evaluate these or see these for themselves, hit me or Nick up on Twitter. I guess me is probably better because I have them, and I will link you to all of these. It's a vi- it's video clips of every single pass set that Becton had at Louisville last year. You can watch them all, and so you can see them for yourself. But what excites me the most about Becton, Nick, 
is that right away when you insert him into a lineup, and the reason I say right away is because he did it week after week after week. Every game I've seen, every clip I've seen from different games of Becton, in every single one, there's one thing that consistently happens, Nick. And to me, the one thing I consistently see is him ragdolling and manhandling literally D1 ACC edges in the run game. And it's crazy to talk about. Like, I didn't see that from any other tackle. I can't even remember many tackles I've ever seen. I mean, that 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 have done this, that have been able to just consistently week after week manhandle, throw guys on the ground, take them out of the, the run game um, in, in that regard. And the scariest thing about it, Nick, is that he's doing it mostly in his own heavy scheme there at Louisville. Like, can you just imagine him firing forward in power and gap like he's not like most of what we saw is him playing in a scheme that I don't even think fully best utilizes his skill set so for me that's kind of where I'm at I'm like oh my god the upside there he's immediately unreal in the run game for them and I just personally don't see the issues in the pass production based on what we talked about before yeah, his run game ability is incredible. He had this like slingshot type block where they ran a lot of like zone read and and thinking yeah. sometimes out of the pistol, sometimes just, you know, out of offset and it would just be zone read and he would be the backside blocker on the play and he would basically use his inside arm and strike and turn his hips through defensive ends and literally launch them. It was so launch incredible them. to watch. His his yeah, his strike with his inside arm and then turn is, is very, very uh, powerful and just alarming to see him do that. And again, it's not just against DBs or even like frail outside linebackers. He's doing it against defensive ends. Now, will he do it against 30-year-old technicians at the NFL level? Probably not on the reg, but just that raw power and that raw strength and the fact that it's literally it's like a punch kind of with that specific type of block that I'm referring to. It's uh, his power, man. I've said it so many times on this podcast. It, that combination of size, mobility, and power is so rare in an individual. And, and foot quickness. Yeah, and the foot quickness, too. I mean, he has, he's not Jedrick Wills. I'm not saying that. But he his feet, for that size, man, it's it's for that size, remarkable. Right. It's, it's and, remarkable. And that doesn't even touch on the fact that he ran a 40 in the 81st percentile at, at 368 pounds. Like, 81st percentile of all offensive tackles at 368 pounds. Like, people who are at 315 or 305 pounds aren't running in the 81st percentile. Like, it, it's Every single athletic box he checks off, especially for me, which is most important, is having those quick feet. Because, again, Eric Flowers was a guy who checked off a lot of boxes, not nearly the same. <laughs> By the way, not nearly the same degree of boxes as Beckton. So don't try to compare them because Flowers wasn't in the 99th percentile with reach, with hand size, with height, with weight, and um, – and with any and in and especially with the 40 time, not that it matters that much, but it shows something. But mostly with Flowers, he never had the footwork and he didn't have the hand punch that we talked about with with Beckton. So it's like you got a guy who's young, who has all the athletic gifts in the world, already is not letting that many people get around him in pass protection because it's so hard to get around someone his size with his kind of feet, already is ragdolling guys in the run game, and is working with Duke Mayweather at a young age to get better. And to me, I just see someone who's gonna be a day one starter and only get better from there. Yeah, I, I can see that. I think the development, I think his pad level tends to rise. I yep. believe his punch punch placement. Now, I'm not, he's not a tonger like I see with Isaiah Wilson. Like we saw with Eric Flowers, he's not as much of a tonger when it comes to those kind of things. But his punch placement can be a bit erratic. And those are things that kind of concern me. I think his punches can be a little low. His, I mean, well, I should say his hands can be a little low. But I think all those things are there are aspects that can be worked on. I think those are all developmental things that can be assisted. And a lot of, I see a lot of people comparing him to 
Eric Flowers. I, I don't think that's a fair comparison whatsoever. Well, let's he, be fair. We don't see a lot of people. We see a lot of Giants fans doing that. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. Not yeah, a actual lot of evaluators we're reading or scouts. We're literally just talking about Giants fans making that comparison. I think yeah, that's I just don't know. Yeah, it's not. Oh, it's very important to know. And I just don't think that's a fair compare just because they're both really big and they're really powerful. Becton's footwork is a lot better than Flowers couldn't even do like a kick slide in the offensive line drills at the combine. But Jerry Reese still, you know, thought he could pick him top 10 and then it would be fixed. Yeah. Obviously, that did not happen. So I just don't think that's fair to the kid. I think Becton is a much more polished prospect than that. But there's still a lot of things to work on. And that's what the NFL is for. Not a lot of these people come in and are just purely polished. That's just not the way this works. Yep. And moving forward, then at 11, I have the Jaguars selecting Derek Brown as a nice, nice real one-for-one trade-off for Clayus Campbell there. I got the Raiders taking my wide receiver one at 12, and this and I'll, and I'll go to bat for this. CeeDee Lamb is my wide receiver one. I, 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 had a, I had a fun time last weekend actually diving deep into the wide receiver class. It's one of my favorite positions to evaluate because, like I told Nick off, off the show a bunch, it's one of the only positions I feel super confident in evaluating. When you read some of the evaluations from people online, you know, you got to take some of them with a grain of salt. If they're not like Nick and they didn't put in the time to go through the scouting academy or if they didn't play the position, I don't know if I can fully trust them. And, and wide receiver is a position that luckily I was able to connect with with former scouts in the NFL and people who are part of that network that Nick is a part of. And they kind of taught me what to look for at that position. And I feel pretty comfortable evaluating that position and quarterback, but none others, none others to that extent, but lamb easily my wide receiver one. He glides. He's so good after the catch. He glides after the catch and his ability to understand angles after the catch is beyond belief to me. Like I watch him on tape and he's just, turning plays after the catch that should have been like 15 to 20 yards into touchdowns and that doesn't even touch into what he's able to do in contested catch situations which is literally deandre hopkins levels like the way i look at lamb literally you're knocking him because he ran a four or five guess who else was knocked for that aj brown last draft who's the best receiver in last draft juju smith schuster cooper cup deandre hopkins the list goes on of people who slid in the draft simply because of the 40 time and i'm just not one of those people who's going to subscribe to that type of type of way of thinking so to me he's deandre hopkins plus and i know that sounds crazy but that's how high i am on lamb as a prospect it's so crazy too man because if he ran a 449 people would be like oh he runs a 44 it's pretty good but since it was a four or five everyone kind of loses their minds as stupid as that is i swear the nfl sometimes like just like subconsciously thinks that way because it wasn't that 10th second faster yeah, it's just one no of the. It's one, it's one of those things that has always pissed me off and annoyed me. But you know, that's just it tends to happen. Me too. It always pisses me off and annoys me too. That's why I'll make it funny. But he's he's there at twelve, and then I have the Niners with the pick they acquired from Indianapolis, taking my boy C.J. Henderson. Love if you could still bang it. I'm sure the odds now are terrible. The juice has moved because everyone's on it. But I, I I dropped a hefty sum. My my bet my largest bet of the draft season on C.J. Henderson to be drafted under sixteen and a half. Here I have him going thirteen. Can't see him going outside the top 15. Uh, to me, he's one of just two players in this class who can lock down in coverage on the boundary. Ran a 4-3-9 as well, so like I have no concerns about him locking down any type of receiver there, as well as the fact that he has the length, too. Like To me, I love C.J. Henderson. I think he's a top, almost a top 10 prospect. Then I have another guy who I'm higher on than most going at 14. The Panthers, after trading back with the Bucks from 7 to 14, take Patrick Queen here, I think is— their best chance to replace Keekly right away. I think out of all the linebackers in this class, including Simmons, Queen is probably the best one-for-one replacement for Keekly, as far as I'm concerned. And then finally rounding out the top 15, the Broncos just go pure value here with Jerry Judy at 15. They need a receiver too. They want weapons. 
for Drew Locke. Now they give Locke really unreal weapons, including with the money they spent on that offensive line, which doesn't even guarantee success, especially because they still have Garrett Bowles at tackle. But with the money they spent on the line, and then you give Drew Locke Melvin Gordon, Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, and Noah Fant. It's a pretty impressive group there. So anything, any concerns, any problems with my my rest of my top 15, Nick? No, I don't really have any concerns. I think the Jaguars, you know, there's some, you could see how some of these general managers make mistakes. The Jaguars, if they land Derek Brown here, that's a home run pick for them. And because, you know, they lost to Marcel Darius, they traded away Calais Campbell, but they have Taven Bryan waiting in the wings who they drafted, what, two years ago out of right. Florida in the first round? When is that guy going to ever develop? It's, <laughs> that sucks for him. C.D. Lamb, obviously, that would be great for Derek Carr. That would be great for John Gruden. That would be great for Mike Mayock. C.J. Henderson, again, they drafted Akello Witherspoon in the second round, I think, two years ago. We watched him kind of get abused in the playoffs and then end up getting benched. But I think C.J. Henderson, Akello Witherspoon, he was a guy coming out of that draft who didn't really, who made a lot of business decisions and didn't like to tackle. But C.J. Henderson's cover skills are far superior to Akello Witherspoon's. And he's probably, I mean, people argue that he's a better cover corner than Jeffrey Okuda. And I don't even think that's a ridiculous statement, to be honest. I just think Okuda's better in press situations. He's more physical when it comes to just tackling and he's more willing to be a tackler. I just I think C.J. Henderson is going to be a top 15 pick. I think you're right about that. Patrick Queen, excellent will type uh, linebacker, great with pursuit, great with key and diagnosing. Not a lot of people were talking about him until that right. national championship game. And then Jerry Judy, pair him with Cortland Sutton, True Lock. I mean, and you got uh, Noah Fant. Like he said, that's um, that's a really explosive and fun offense there that Pat Shermer is going to be able to work with. Right, with yeah, quarterback yeah. that he was interested in too. He was yep. interested in Lock. And they've improved the line. And then at 16, I have the Falcons staying put and taking Javon Kinlaw, a guy they can pair with Grady Jarrett to give them an interior push. I think that's a really nice combo there. 17, I have the guy for the Cowboys. I don't think the Cowboys are moving, and this is the player I think the Cowboys are going to take. I think he's going to fall into this spot, and I think it's going to be a great pick. Xavier McKinney, the safety there. They need to upgrade in the secondary. They would love to have a corner here, but no corner on their board after Henderson is going to grade out quite like McKinney, who's played the slot. He's played in some single high looks, a lot of two high looks, but also can play in the box. I think he's just the most versatile defensive back in this class. Yeah, dude. Um Looking at just the draft in general, I think the Falcons would literally pick up, run through whatever city, <laughs> whatever wherever they are, run to Roger Goodell and give him the ticket if Javon Kinlaw falls to them at 16 to pair him with Grady Jarrett. That would be amazing for that franchise. And as for Xavier McKinney, I mean, I, I look at Dallas, man. I think they have several needs. I think they have a need sure. at center. I think they definitely need to have a need at corner. They need a safety. I think they could use some edge help as well. So they can go in a lot of different directions there. McKinney was the guy that was has been being mocked there since what? basically the start of this whole process and then he fell out of it because that's just the way it happens and now he's starting to be mocked there again so i can definitely see the cowboys going in that direction but then they have a they're, they're gonna really that their pick's interesting to me because i could see them going caleb on chase and i could see them going with even like a caesar ruiz yeah. or somebody like that so i think uh, the 17th pick is definitely going to be a really interesting one then I got Josh Jones coming off the board, the offensive tackle out of Houston to Miami at 18. A.J. Terrell, the cornerback out of Clemson at 19. He's been a riser that people aren't realized. Has good length, and I like him a lot. He's my probably my... I would say he's probably my cornerback three in this class, and I also just think Mike Mayock's going to love his pedigree out of Clemson. You've seen how many <laughs> national championship-type Clemson players that Mayock has tried to draft. And finally, at 20, the Jaguars go Christian Fulton. He's he's a replacement for Boy and Ramsey. I think he's more Boy than Ramsey, to be honest. But 
I think he'll he's fine there. They need they need something there. And then the Eagles at twenty one maybe get what most people would probably consider the best value of the entire first round as Henry Ruggs falls into their laps here, just based on how the rest of my board fell out. What do you think of the next few picks here? <laughs> I think AJ Terrell, that's funny because they went Trayvon Mullen last year. You're right, Mayock right. loves himself some Clemson cornerbacks. Josh Jones, like I think Clemson you everything. Lose. I mean, they also went Farrell and and yeah. uh, and Renfro in last draft. Three Clemson. Yeah. That's true. They love that championship pedigree. They went with uh, Josh Jacobs, too, in the first round, obviously, uh, out of Alabama. But Josh Jones uh, for Miami, I think that's a uh, good, you know, I think he could step in. He could probably start. He's going to suffer some lumps, but they're a team that's looking to just grow with the future. I, I kind of trust Brian Flores a lot. I think he did a lot of really good things for that team last year. So I like that pick right there, especially given the fact that the top four tackles are out and he's the next tackle on the board with no huge injury concerns for me, at least then uh, Christian Fulton. I think he, if I'm not really big into comps, but if he is compared to somebody, it's probably going to be AJ Bouye, 2018, AJ Bouye, not last year, but yeah. you know, good impress coverage has a really solid jam is solid. in man coverage has good hips can tackle, can do like everything pretty well. I think that's a pretty good comparison, and he'd be the replacement for A.J. Bouye. He's not quite Jalen Ramsey, but they need some cornerback help down there in Jacksonville. So I think that's a a good replacement for, for Jacksonville there with their second first-round pick. Doubling down on the defense, too, getting Derek Brown and Christian Volton. Yeah, they really need to to rebuild that defense. I mean, the way I see it, at least. I mean, I think Josh Jones will be in play for them, too, but they have gone Juwan Taylor and Cam Robinson in recent years um, at the tackle I think Cam- I think Cam Robinson needs to be pushed inside. I mean, obviously, I don't, I don't yeah. grind the tape of the Jacksonville Jaguars, but from <laughs> people I trust and people I've heard, he struggled at tackle, and he's always had that frame to where he could mm-hmm. be kicked inside. I remember people saying that he was a guard coming out of that draft. A lot of people were against it, but since he has struggled and he has dealt with injury, maybe kicking him inside and then drafting a tackle, and that could just sure up uh, the offensive line for Minshew and see how they're going to play this year. I mean, it, they're weird, man, Jacksonville. You got Leonard Fournette. Wasn't he on first take recently, like uh, openly pitching for Cam Newton and kind of oh, throws yeah. <laughs> kind of throws your quarterback under the bus when you do that? So, yeah. And then today, Adam Schefter reported that the Jaguars are trying to trade Leonard Fournette. I don't know who the hell would want Leonard Fournette, but they're trying to trade Leonard Fournette. Uh, isn't that crazy that Tom Coughlin made that pick, man? I, w- I lost so much money in that draft on that pick, man. I said to myself, there's no shot they would use the fourth pick on a player on a prospect like that. So I bet the under and the under for him was like five and a half or six and a half. It was basically if the Jaguars don't do it, literally no one's going to do it. It'll probably last to the end of their first round or or later. Um, I thought he was a terror. I didn't like him as a prospect. He was injured his entire career and he's been injured most of his career in the NFL after being injured most of LSU. And he couldn't and he wasn't like any kind of great route runner. I just to me, uh, uh, that pick was like one of the worst in the last like decade almost, but yeah, now, but he's but he's six two six six one six two two hundred and like thirty pounds almost, and he ran a four or five, and everyone lost their shit about it. Yeah, and he's had some solid games in the NFL, but like not enough. He hasn't translated to wins and losses there. I don't believe, or, or to wins there. I don't believe maybe some losses, but they're trying to trade him. He's obviously not part of the culture they want to rebuild. He's one of those Ramsey. He's one of the guys that they've tried to ship out almost. Um, but I don't think there would be many takers there. Anyway, back to the draft, though. After the Eagles steal rugs at 21, according to <laughs> people, I, I don't know if, if I'm as high on rugs as, as most, Nick. We can probably use this time to say that. To me, I see a clear top two here with Judy and Lamb. And then rugs is a bit of a drop-off for me. But I do get the value of rugs in that, even that he's if he's not producing at the same level as Judy and Lamb, he's, he's helping the rest of the offense by just 
firing downfield and making the safeties play deep and opening up that middle of the field for Ertz and whoever else they have in at receiver there, Ertz, Deshaun, you know, that's, that's what they're missing, man. That Deshaun Jackson deep threat, that vertical threat. And I, I I don't want to see it. (laughs) No, I don't want to see it because Wentz is so goddamn good at throwing downfield. Yeah, he is. That's why I don't want to see it. He creates time and he fires downfield and he, and he's unbelievably accurate in that way. Yeah, he really is, man. That that's definitely not. We don't want another Deshaun Jackson. Wentz was uh, so freaking good, by the player. way, in that end of the season game against the Giants. You remember that game? He was playing with like three practice squad receivers and just like running around making throws against the Giants. The game plan against the Giants. The Giants defense didn't adapt in that game. Like the game plan was literally like yeah. slip screens to the running to Miles Sanders and Greg Ward, and the Giants just could not get it under control. It was that was one of the more frustrating games for me to, to watch. watch. Like a mean, too, right? Yeah. For for a meaningless type of game. Because yeah. like just from like a from a okay, stop the short game because they don't really have a vertical game going right now. And the Giants just could not do it. It was on prime time, I think, too. So it was like, oh, this is fucking embarrassing. But, you know, that's the Giants. And they held out for so long because the the highs were so good when you saw him just scheme up awesome pressures. But I held out for so long on James Betcher. But that was like the moment I was like, all right, it's all over. I'm finally for sure ready to just cut the end the story on Betcher. It didn't work out. His highs were high. I love what I saw at times. He was super creative and it worked when it worked, but that was the game where I was like, he couldn't even adjust at all to this game plan. I, I still like James Betcher. I think he'll land on his feet eventually. I think he needs a I know he schemes a lot of pressure, has a lot of uh, unique t- twists and stunts and things like that, but I think he needs a, a really, like I, every defensive coordinator really needs it, but to really bring his system together, you need somebody who can win 1v1 as a pass rusher right. to to help that pattern match and, and to really cover up some of the miscommunications that happen on the back end, especially when you have young corners, and the Giants just did not have that. Yep, no doubt. All right, then at 22, I've got Jalen Johnson to the Vikings. Love the fit here. I think he's a perfect fit for Mike Zimmer's specific defense. And I think he's a very good player out of Utah at 23. I got the Pat standing put and taking Justin Jefferson. I can't think of a wide receiver who better fits that McDaniels Earnhardt passing game than, than Jefferson in this entire class. So I love this fit 24. I got a player who I'm not very high on, but I think the saints will be a little bit higher on that's T Higgins. I think they can go in a number of directions here, Nick, but I think they have to decide the best on the best way to capitalize Drew Brees' short window, similar to what I have, you know, the Bucks doing with Brady. So I've got them going Higgins. And finally, at 25, the Vikings back on the board, and I got them going Chase Sohn. Another player like Ruggs here in my draft drops a 21. That's not expected. Chase Sohn here in my drop drop in my draft. I'm sorry, drops a 25. That's also kind of not expected. What do you make of those picks? Yeah, I don't think uh, Chase Sohn will be. I don't think Chase Sohn will be selected that far down. And Jalen Johnson, man. I've watched this. I like him. I don't know how where the NFL values him, but if there is a team that's going to select them, I think Minnesota is a solid team because he is. I mean, he's not like big. He doesn't have really a big frame. Like it says, one hundred and ninety-three pounds. But, but he plays seen, big. But he plays big, and he actually yeah. looked pretty long. I don't have his arm length in front of me, but he looked long on tape from the Utah tape that I did end up seeing. I think Justin Jefferson has. He could play boundary. He played most of. I want to say almost every snap in two thousand nineteen in the slot. So he's that slot receiver that can move around. And who knows what we're going to see from the Patriots' offense? And then T. Higgins is an interesting one for me because they have that big bodied receiver in Mike Thomas. And T. Higgins is an interesting because I look at Lavisca Chanel and I look at Jalen Rager and I look at some of the smaller guys and I wonder if they would be a better fit uh, for New Orleans. I think they just like I, the way I, I thought about that too. And like, obviously they, they like having the 10 get the 10 get um, open the middle of the field guy, the, but mm-hmm. I think they can find those type of guys later in the draft. 
And I don't think they those guys necessarily are guys they want to invest highly in. And I just looked at the actual receivers they've found success with. And I know they signed Emmanuel Sanders, who might even be expected to play that role. But the receivers they've found success in kind of are more in that Higgins. I almost went Michael Pittman here. I, I don't even care. I think <laughs> I, he's so such a good fit for that for what for that system. But they've found so much success with these these bigger bodied, big framed guys who are able to create separation um, underneath, even despite being so big, like Michael Thomas, Marcus Colston. That's kind of the mold that fits that system best, I think, or at least they've had the most success with versus kind of like, you know, they've, they've kind of struck out on Traquan Smith. They've struck out on Meacham, those type of receivers in the past, those, those different style receivers. So I just thought the fit made sense. How dare you disrespect Robert Meacham? Yeah, the old <laughs> fantasy bust. Uh, I remember. Yeah, uh, I think their roster is so good that they could really go anywhere with that 24th pick. That's that's one luxury to yeah, being a really good team. Yeah, so uh, I don't know if that's a direction, but who knows at this point. We'll, we'll see. And then Caleb on Chase, that would be another home run for them. they got to replace Everson Griffin, or yeah. what we think they have to replace Everson yeah. Griffin because he's still out there. We don't know if there's going to be a remarriage there, even though I think he announced on Twitter. I think he said goodbye. So, but you need that edge rusher. You know, Minnesota loves to bring the pressure from their front four. They love to rely on their pass rushers to give that pressure and bring only four. Credit, obviously, they blitz. I'm not saying they don't, but I think Caleb on Chase would be excellent. And I think they would love that if they slid all the way to 25. I don't see it happening, though. And then I like at 26, this is an interesting scenario I love for Miami. So they've already taken two in this, and then they got Josh Jones, their tackle. And then they go Cesar Ruiz here. So they start this draft off with Tua, Ruiz, and Josh Jones. Like, Can you think of any better way, in, in your opinion, in my opinion, it's not even an argument, the best way to build around a quarterback is get him two linemen right away. But I, to me, this is just perfect for Tua. You, instead of burning picks on skill players to try to help to a quote unquote, you do what really helps the quarterback. You get him an offensive line. And so I love this here for them. For me, at least they got Jones and Ruiz back to back. Yeah. The one thing is they did bring in Ted Karras. And now I'm not sure if they have positional flexibility right? or that's, that would be my one thing, but I a hundred percent agree with everything you said when it comes to protecting Tua from the offensive line standpoint, the one thing that Tua is, the biggest knock on him right now is his health. That's what everyone's really concerned about. So how do you keep him up? You protect him. And that's what the that's what whoever invests in him has to do. They need to make sure there's structure around him, especially if you expect him to play week one. No yeah. doubt. And then the draft gets a little interesting because we start to go into targets. So remember, the Giants in this draft traded back to 10 and selected a tackle. So then we start to look at players coming off the board that I'm a little worried could come off the board who could help the Giants. At 27, Ezra Cleveland. I love this pick for Seattle. This is the type of, of prospect they love. They love these athletic freaks. That's They were the ones who started drafting players based on spark score. And they kind of, you know, they kind of... Uh, Rein, not reinvented their way, but in, in a sense reinvented their way. And then I have Kenneth Murray off the board to the Ravens. I'm not as big a fan of Murray as I was when I started this process. He's probably someone I've, I've, I've kind of dropped a little on. I just feel like he's out of control a lot of times, but it's impossible to deny how, how, how awesome he is moving forward and just his straight-up athleticism and the fact that he was a captain on that defense and all the little things he did. And they, they're, they're going to love him. They need to replace C.J. Mosley there anyway, and they could put him right there in the middle. Then I have a surprise pick at 29, Nick. I feel like the Titans are a team kind of like the Vikings and the teams we've been talking about that don't have that many needs and can kind of make a luxury pick here with Jeremy Chin, who I freaking love out of Southern Illinois. Another guy I started the process higher on Kyle Duggar, but as I started to watch these guys and research these guys, Chin moved way up my board. He's just somebody I think they can put in at linebacker there 
and just really changed changed the aggressiveness on that defense. Um, so those 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 are my next few picks, Nick. And then I love Denzel Mims at thirty to the Packers. I think at 6'3", 207 with a four three eight jumps in the eighty fourth and ninety fourth percentiles. He's just somebody who I think is perfectly suited. We've seen again with Rodgers, just like with Breeze. Uh, Rogers had more success with those bigger body receivers, Jordy Nelson, Devontae Adams. I think they had another one here. And then I round out the first round, Nick, with Ross Blaylock at, at 31 to the Niners. A nice little guy to slide in there for the loss of DeForest Bunkner. And then Grant Delpit to the Chiefs, who they can pair with Tyron Matthew and just can has unbelievable range. And obviously the tackling issues are for real, but unbelievable range back there. And one of the few guys in this class with true deep range. Yeah, man. Uh, he's definitely one of the ones, obviously, he's tackling issues that need to be corrected, but he's definitely a really interesting prospect. I think uh, just to start off with Ezra Cleveland, it it's not so much about just like uh, one thing about the draft is projecting fit based on what teams usually go, seeing teams track record. And I think that one is just nailed. You nailed that one when it comes to Ezra Cleveland because he is that spark athlete. He is that incredibly fluid mover. And that's just what Seattle has looked at when it comes to the offensive tackle position. Kenneth Murray, I mean, I look at the Baltimore Ravens depth chart right now. It's not exactly deep when it comes to linebackers. They got Chris Board there. They have TJ Ford at the weak side and Arturo Alaka. So they need to kind of add some linebacker depth at that position when it comes to CJ Mosley vacated and went to the Jets, was hurt basically the entire season last year. So I like the fit there. I think they're definitely going to be in the market. I'm, I'm worried they're going to go after someone like Zach Bond, to be honest. And then Jeremy Chin. I think the Titans roster is low-key one of the best rosters in the league. And they have two very solid safeties. You got Kenny Vaccaro, you got Kevin Byard, and you could just use Chin as a chess piece. You really can. I mean, everyone talks about Isaiah Simmons as a chess piece, but Jeremy Chin is going to be somebody selected more than likely at the end of the first round, maybe the beginning of the second round, and he can play linebacker. He can play safety. He has range. He's very explosive, so I really like that. Mims, they have – I don't know what it is about Green Bay. They love themselves some big-bodied receivers. And they went out, they signed Devin Funches. They have all these receivers who are all 6'2", 6'3". Denzel Mims fits what they kind of look for up there with the big bodies, big catch radius, strong hands kind of guys. And then Ross Blacklock and uh, Grant Delpit. Touched on Grant Delpit. I think Kansas City, they need to bring in just defensive players for Steve Spagnuolo. I think he could fit really well, and they can utilize that range to have the Honey Badger be the man coverage uh, in the box kind of safety. And then Ross Blacklock, San Francisco. Uh, he's a lot smaller than DeForest Buckner, but I think he's excellent on stunts and twists and his lateral agility and lateral mobility was so used by TCU. He was basically always twisting and stunting. And that's something that I feel like Robert Sala would love to work with. Without a doubt, Nick. And that the, I, I love the breakdown there. And I think out of all the people you mentioned, really, just Delpit, Chin, and Murray and Cleveland are the guys that I think would be bad for the Giants to go here. Otherwise, if they're, if guys like Mims are going off the board and Blaylock, that's music to my ears. Yeah, Black, uh, Blacklock, I, I, like, or literally, Blacklock, sorry, not yeah, no, I got you, but Blacklock, Gallimore, all these names, I just, I hope that's what happens, even, like, Delpit, Mims, I hope there's a run on a receiver around this time, that would kind of be the idea, like, what if Tennessee's like, you know what, we got A.J. Brown, but we lost Tajay Sharp, kind of want to throw it maybe a little bit more, they go, because their roster's so good, and they start going receiver, and that makes the Packers panic, and that makes teams like san francisco even panic that great that'd be amazing that'd be awesome because the more receivers that are off the board here would maybe lead to the giants getting some of the guys that we really like that we might be talking about here in just a second without a doubt so then we kick off round two with the Bengals taking isaiah wilson the guy we've talked about from georgia the other tackle he's moved up the board six seven three fifty 
big mauler types going to help them immediately for Joe Mixon. I just think this is a Bengals pick. It's got Bengals written all over them. Um, and then with the picks right before the Giants, I love my my 34th pick here, Michael Pittman to the Colts. I think, uh, obviously, if you guys listen to the podcast John with John Ledyard, he compared Pittman's game to Vincent Jackson. Who better to give Rivers than a Vincent Jackson incarnate there at 34? Um, then at 35, they got a guy I don't really love, but I think the Lions will like him, and that's A.J. Epinesa. And then finally, the Giants on the clock here at 36. And where do I go, Nick? I'm pretty sure the listeners probably know exactly where you're going. And it's not because you're a homer for Wisconsin, but it's because he's an excellent fit and an excellent player. And that's Zach Bond, of course, edge linebacker. And I would absolutely love the Giants. Select. He's probably my dream scenario at pick 36. It would have to be Zach Bond. I just don't see it materializing because I'm just a pessimist when it comes to some of these things. But crazier shit has happened. Yeah, without a doubt. And not only that, uh, I think with with Bond, I think one of the more interesting things is is that it seems like it's unlikely for him to be here, Nick. But in this scenario, is anything that I really had going off the board before Bond uh, too unrealistic? I don't want to say anything's unrealistic because none of us actually know what is going to happen. We're all just prognosticating. But there isn't anything from everything that I've just heard or collected that is really outlandish. Like, oh my God, there's no way that guy's going to be a first round pick. Do I think Jalen Johnson and T Higgins will be first round picks? I don't, but I don't think it's crazy to say that they are. Yeah, no doubt, Nick. And you asked me what I love about Bond. If anyone wants to ask me that, I mean, there's so much to like here. This is a guy who was a quarterback in, in high school. He was basically scouted in some ways as a quarterback. He was ranked the 23rd best quarterback. Did you know this, Nick? Vaughn was the 23rd best quarterback by ESPN in his class. That's crazy. And and Scout gave him the 54th best outside linebacker, but he was the 23rd best quarterback. And also he competed in the 100 meter, 200 meter, four by 100 relay, uh, was, you know, helped lead Brown Deer. And he's from Wisconsin. He helped lead Brown Deer to a, to a, Division three state title in basketball. This is a guy who who is just a pure athlete, Nick. And that's what I like the most about him. He redshirted in 2015, only played 80 snaps in 2016. And then in 2017, he had that foot injury that suffered that he forced him to miss the whole year and kind of set his career back a little. But it didn't really because in 2018, he fired right back and became an immediate contributor on the Wisconsin defense. Obviously, in 2019, the same thing. Um in you know during he had a pass rush pressure rate of 16.5% which was the sixth best rate and that's just playing off the edge most people think if the giants draft them they'll kick him into off ball linebacker though i think he can kind of play both for the giants off ball linebacker some snaps edge off the others i mean he racked up 25 combined sack plus hits in, in 2019 with an elite 91 pass rush grade. This is all from pro football focus, by the way. So really the only concern I have with bond would be size, because even if you dive into the athletic aspect, like he doesn't really look, uh, you know, if you just look at him in a picture, he's a balding athlete at 20, whatever years old, doesn't exactly look like the best athlete. But then you look at the combine numbers, dude, he had a 1.54 second 10 yard split. That's in the 99th percentile. And remember the 10 yard split shows explosiveness, uh, you know, off the snap, off the ball, moving downhill. And that's exactly what the Giants said they love so much about Connolly. And this guy takes it to another level, 99th percentile. His three cone drill to show off agility, Nick, 90th percentile. 99th for the 10 yard, 90th for the three cone. 92nd percentile, 40 yard dash. He ran a 4.65, dude, a 238. And like, 
again, 20 yard shuttle, 87, 86 percentile. Like he is a freakish athlete to go along with the production off the edge and the projection at off ball linebacker and potential drop in coverage. Vaughn at 36 is the happiest I'll be with any player in this draft class. 100%. I can't I can't knock that at all, dude, because it's the same feeling that I have. When I saw this, I was like, yeah. I wonder how much of the Wisconsin bias played into this, into having Vaughn slip to 36, but and the fact that he would just mesh so well with the Giants. I just think it's a dream scenario that, uh, that hopefully can materialize come, what is it, what, four or five days from now? All right, yeah, so after Bond, I got Jalen Rieger coming off the board at 37 to the Chargers, Austin Jackson, the 38 to the Panthers, Jonathan Taylor, my boy, my clear-cut RB1, the first running back off the board in this draft, to the Lions at 39. Yeah, they have more needs, but they want to be a power team, physical team. They want to put a run-first uh, game, in, they want to put a run-first offense in there, and I think Taylor's the best bet for that. And then finally, Yatir Gross Mottos to the Texans at 40. One pick before the Giants are back on the clock at 41 with the pick they acquired from the Browns trade. And Gross Mottos is a guy who a lot of people think can go in round one. I do too, but in this mock, he falls. Yeah, I think Utah Gross Matos is a round one selection as well. But he fell in this mock, and that's going to happen sometimes. And then that brings us to next selection, which is pick 41. The Giants have it because they were able to do a little bit of finagling and get extra selections, which is something that Dan and I both hope happened, and we both hope that materializes. So, Dan, who did the Giants select at pick 41? Okay, so at this pick, there's a few players at other positions I was tempted by. And there's one player at this position I was tempted by. And so I settled in on Ashton Davis here, the safety at a Cal. I was tempted by Antoine Winfield Jr., who, quite frankly, has the most exciting tape of any safety I've watched. And maybe, you know, besides like Simmons, any defensive player, I loved watching him on film. But I also didn't like when I looked back and I saw that Antoine Winfield Jr., who was five foot nine and under 200 pounds, played just four games in 2018. And he played just four games in 2017. And he's had multiple injuries that have really held him back. So I went away from that risk with such a premium draft pick at 41 with Davis, a guy who's been bothered by a groin injury that slowed him during the pre-combine process, but I'm sorry, the pre-draft process, especially at the combine. But aside from that, hasn't had too many bad injuries uh, at the collegiate level. And to me, Davis is just a, a rock star pick here because he's one of those few players that can actually hold up in single high. I don't think anyone covers more range at the safety position and more field at the safety position than Davis. He just, you can put him, you can do so many things with your defense if you have a guy like Davis. And he spent the most time in single high safety looks of anyone in this class. Um, just seems like a perfect fit for me. Again, this is a position where I feel like it's a unicorn position. There's so few players in the NFL that can play that deep half safety role with the kind of range that Davis can. And He's somebody who I think has been kind of counted out his whole career. He had zero offers to play football coming out of high school. So he went to University of Cal uh, to make the jump uh, to run track there and then kind of made that jump from track to football, started at cornerback, moved over to safety there. Um, And, you know, he's somebody who has really had awesome grades according to pro football focus in this role. But just somebody who when you watch on tape, it's just so obvious that he has the, this rare range in the deep half at safety. So for me, Davis was the pick at 41, Nick. I absolutely love it too. I'm a big Ashton Davis fan when it comes to that range, that single high ability, and he's very physical coming downhill. As I pointed out last podcast, I think he gets a little bit wild at the tackle point, but those are things are correctable, and it's not like he's great to help it out there when it comes to tackling whatsoever. So I would love to get Bond and Davis at this area of the draft. 
Yeah, so now rolling through, the Giants are at a point where they've got their single high safety, their free safety to play with Peppers and Davis. They've got their offensive tackle, Makai Becton, start out on the right side, move over to the left side next year. And then they've got, and by the way, Makai Becton played a little bit of right and a little bit of left at Louisville, so that's a big plus for him with me. Um, and then finally, before that, Zach Bond, probably our favorite player in this class. And then I got the Jaguars going Lavishka Chenault at 42. The Bears addressing cornerback need left by Prince and Mukamara with Jeff Gladney at 43. DeAndre Swift, the second running back off the board to the Colts at 44. Um, Trayvon Diggs, the Alabama cornerback, who I think is a little overrated, to be honest, at 45 to the to the Panthers, the pick they picked up um, by trading back with the Bucks in the first round. The Broncos take Lucas Yang, an offensive lineman that they hope will eventually replace Garrett Bowles, if not now, because again, if he's healthy, he's going to be awesome. That's 46. Antoine Winfield then comes off the board to the Falcons at 47. The Jets, K.J. Hamler, one of my favorite receivers in this class. Tyreek Hill Light at 48. Um, Jonah Jackson the to the Steelers at 49. They replenish the offensive line with an excellent guard prospect. Kyle Duggar comes off the board to the Bears at 50. Um, Julian Okwara to the Cowboys here at 51. Um, and then the next couple picks, we got Prince Tega Winago at uh, to the Rams at 52. And then the Eagles, Willie Gay. They take him a little earlier than people expect. Probably one of the best, if not the best, coverage off-ball linebacker in this class. So what do you make of this next set of picks? I think it's interesting. I think the Carolina Panthers definitely need to get a cornerback. When you look over at their depth chart right now, they're starting cornerback opposite of Dante Jackson, who they selected out of LSU back in 2018. And I think the second round is Corn Elder. So they need to get somebody to replace James Bradbury. So is it going to be Trayvon Diggs? Who knows? I agree. Trayvon Diggs, I think he has some issues. He's not exactly the most polished player, but the cornerback class is pretty deep, so there could be somebody that they selected earlier or maybe even at pick 45 that is a little bit better than Diggs. But I just think getting bodies into that position is really important. Yang to Denver, that's going to be somebody that they could hopefully develop. Hopefully, if he's healthy, like you said, home run. I think KJ Hamler to the Jets, just getting weapons for Sam Darnold right now is something that has to be an imperative thing on Joe Douglas's mind. So I like that. Jonah Jackson just feels like it's a Pittsburgh pick. I don't know why. He just feels like somebody who would play on Pittsburgh and then excel on that offensive line because they just seem to always have a really, really good offensive line. And then, I just, yeah, all the way down to Willie Gay Jr. I mean, typically the Eagles kind of, uh, they don't invest a lot of high draft capital into the linebacker position. But uh, round two, you get this really athletic linebacker who can cover tight ends, who can blitz, who can be used as somebody who can move in space in coverage do all he basically do all that well my issue with willie gay is i just see him get washed out of the play handling blocks at yeah. the point of attack at the second level is that something that concerns me and that's why i'm not as high on him but yeah that, i think a lot of this makes sense and then prince tegawanogo to the rams i think makes a lot of sense which is 52 right before the willie gay pick just somebody who could they possibly be groomed. that line yep. yeah somebody who could possibly uh take over for andrew whitworth in the uh, next couple of years and we won't do every pick as we move forward into the Giants' day. The rest of what they got, so they pit, they would still have the 99th overall pick. And in this mock, they also have 97, which they also acquired from the Browns. But a couple more notables uh, here. We've got Tyler Johnson staying at home and getting drafted by the Vikings, the Minnesota product. Lions go explosive with J.K. Dobbins. Uh, first tight end off the board is to the, to the Seahawks at 59 with Cole Komet. Um, one of our boys, Akeem Davis Gaither, goes to the Packers at 62. And then Lloyd Cushenberry right after him to the Chiefs at 63. Um, then as we get forward and more into the third round, I finally have Jordan Love coming off the board at 67 to the Lions. That's my third quarterback. 
in this draft class. The Jets take Daryl Taylor, an edge guy with athleticism at 68. Terrell Burgess, guy we like at safety, but good thing the Giants already have a safety, comes off the board at 69. Um, another guy I really like, Nick. Whew, if the Giants can get him, they don't need him, but if they can get him, detain Muti at guard at 71. That guy is one of the most powerful players I've seen on tape. And then one of our boys, Ben Barch, to the Jaguars at 73. Uh, another fit I like, Clyde edwards helaire to the Bucks at 76. Matt Pert comes off the board a pick before that. But as we move forward, Nick, we're rolling through. We're getting closer to the pick. The Patriots go easing. Uh, quarterback at 87. Damian Lewis comes off the board to the Saints at 88 to replenish that line. Kayvon Wallace off the board at 90. I think will go higher than people think. Um, but then as we roll through... Number 97 overall, Nick. It's going to be my boy, Tyler Biotter, somehow, someway in my mock. And I know, color yourself surprised. <laughs> Two of the first four picks for the Giants were Wisconsin Badgers. Hmm, I can only imagine why that would materialize. But yeah, no, Giants get in the center. That's important. But I would hate the fact that only, what was it, pick 73, I think, was the Cowboys' last pick. Oh, wherever Hennessy went, I, I think the Giants and Dave Gettleman have an affinity for, no, it wasn't 73, but I think they have an affinity for for Matt Hennessy, 82 yeah. for Hennessy. Yeah, so that's that's what 11 picks or whatever whatever it was. I'm not doing the math. What was it? 97 picks before. Beyond. 15 picks. Yeah, math was never my thing. Math is hard, guys. But I, I think the Giants really are high on Matt Hennessy just from things that I am hearing. The kid right. out of Temple, and uh, yeah, that'd be hard to watch him go to Cowboys for Dave Gettleman, I'm sure. But the Giants need bodies at that center position, and I, I'm concerned with Beatus. I like what I saw from the limited 2018 tape that I that I did witness. The 2019 tape, I saw I, I saw him on the ground a lot, dude. And I, it was obvious that those injuries had to be afflicting him somehow. Yeah. And I think he's going to get dinged, bro, for those medicals. I think he's going to slide. Now, if that, in a, say in a perfect world, he tests out, all those medicals are clear, and he is that 2018 player, that's that's fine. But it's just, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about that, I will say. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always concerning when when the best from a player is during his freshman year. Like in 2016, his first... The first time he started playing for Wisconsin was his best year. But he's been an awesome run blocker the entire time. And just he has that functional play strength at center that I look for for this position. I just I can't do another, you know, I can't do another Spencer Pulley type. I just don't want that there. And what I like most about Biotish is this. He came into Wisconsin as a really low three-star recruit, and he was recruited as defensive lineman. I don't know if you knew this, Nick, but he didn't play offensive line in high school at all. The first time he ever snapped the football was in 2016 when Wisconsin, after redshirting him the year before, decided to convert him from the defensive line to center. That was the first snap he ever took in his life at center. And immediately in 2016, he was graded out as one of the best centers in all of college football. To me, that shows something, honestly. Oh, definitely, yeah. The ability to come in as a low-star recruit, never play the position, pick it up that fast. And I know he's, his tape has been worse as he's moved on, and in large part maybe due to the injuries. But I just, lo- I just love the fact that he was dominant in 2018, was do- really good his first year ever playing the position. And I just see so much upside at, at, at you know that late in the draft at 97. There is upside there. It's just there's a lot of baggage, too. And I think the Giants need to kneel, uh, nail all these picks, I should say. But, uh, you know, there's one pick in between the Giants' next pick at 99, and that is Sadiq Charles, which I like that pick for the Patriots. The Patriots he, yeah. he could be developed. I believe Dante Skarnecki actually retired, but I'm sure they have a foundational coaching staff in place under Bill Belichick who can develop talent like Sadiq Charles. And then pick 99 is somebody that I really love, and I'm really glad that you included him into your mock draft, my friend. 
Well, it's an interesting pick, too, because some people would say it's a luxury pick because the Giants already maybe got a player like him in Bond in this draft. But I think once we get to these rounds, you're not going to see this. This I, First of all, I'm almost positive the draft won't play out. Need, 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 need. Giants fill every need. That's not how any of these drafts play out. It's not how good GMs do it. They're going to take value. And in this pick, I think he's not only the best value, but he— he fills a role the Giants need, and it's another really athletic linebacker who really jumped and really this guy jumped up my board later in the process. I wasn't really on to him until the last week, two weeks, when people started to tell me about him, started to watch him, and I started to read into him. And that's Logan Wilson, the linebacker out of Wyoming. And actually, in addition to all of that, by the way, what I found most interesting about this was that it uh, was a tweet actually that, um, I'm trying to find this now from Scout Kelly, who who does some work on the Giants and in the draft Twitter. And he said, after I tweeted out about how, you know, Ron, Ryan Conley's 10-yard split is a lot of the reason the Giants were attracted to him. It was top three among off-ball linebackers. And then Zach Bond tested in the 99th percentile. And then what I, what I read was that Logan Wilson, this is according to Scout Kelly, um, and I think his first name's Daniel. If not, I'm sorry I got that wrong. Dude, I, I really do apologize if that's the case. <laughs> uh, let me just make sure. I think he's a Daniel. He's another Daniel, right? He might not be, but he's I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure he is. But right now, he's going to go with Scout Kelly. He's going to go with Scout name. Kelly because that's all I can see on Twitter. And he said that Wyoming linebacker Logan Wilson had the same 10-yard split as Ryan Connolly. So he's certainly a name to watch. And I, when I started watching him, he's just that exact style of off-ball linebacker I think this team desperately needs and I want so bad. And he fits what they like with that 10-yard split and that ability, to, you know, that explosion off the snap at the linebacker position. So for me, it was just too good of a value to pass up for a greater position of need at this time. I did a piece all throughout with the SB Nation's Big Blue View, uh, five day three prospects the Giants would be interested in. I wrote about Logan Wilson. I So I watched film on him back in February, early February or mid-February, something like that. And I watched this tape. And I was like, why aren't more people talking about this guy right now? I was like, what the hell's like, well, I don't see the, the issues. People said, oh, athletically, he might be a little bit limited, but he goes to the combine and he absolutely crushes it when it comes to athleticism. I think he ran like a 4.6 or 4.65 or something like that, which is solid for a linebacker. And he just uses his hands so well, keeps his chest clean, sheds blockers, really good diagnosing skills from the second level. He was the leader of that defense, uber productive. I think he had over 100 tackles three seasons in a row, if I'm not mistaken. So he's definitely somebody that I'm really interested in. Now, Akeem Davis-Gaither has a much higher athletic profile and athletic ceiling than someone like Logan Wilson. But I still think if the Giants do get more day two picks like they did in Dan's mock, this would be somebody that I would be really, really willing to bring in, and hopefully he could be a long-term starter or compete for a starting position on this team, or at least be used in nickel sub-packages. No doubt, Nick. And then my mock fit, fills out with Arnett, uh, Damian Arnett, the cornerback from Ohio State, to the Patriots, Antonio Gibson, one of my favorite sleepers in this draft, mm -hmm. to the Seahawks, Zanari, uh, Jabari Zaninga to the to Steelers. I love that fit for them. Uh, KJ Hill to the Eagles, just a pure value pick. Finally, Fromm comes off the board for me at 104. I hate Jake Fromm. I think he stinks. I think he's going to be bad NFL pro. But they'll take a chance, <laughs> the Rams there, to develop him. Yeah, yeah, I'm just throwing that right all out there, Nick. I don't like him at all. Um, literally, think he sucks. But well, maybe he'll prove me wrong. I mean, you never know. It's for me, it's the arm shot. I think Jake Fromm's smart, man. I think he's a smart yeah, quarterback. Yeah, of course he's, he's smart. Yeah. He can stay on schedule. Like, he's smart, and he's more advanced as a passer from his mental processing standpoint than a lot of these prospects. And he, can, lot, yeah. he can work in a rhythm passing game, but he's just— his ball placement is so wild to me, and his arm that goes in addition to just really questionable arm talent. He like normally the guys with questionable arm talent 
have really good ball placement on tape. He doesn't have that. It's so erratic, and it's just like, what the hell am I watching here? Why is he considered a good prospect? I don't think a lot of, well, I think people will value him as that second quarterback who can, at least when he becomes more of a veteran, I think he could actually be in the league for a, quite a bit because he's going to be a smart second sure. string quarterback that can really help younger quarterbacks once he's seasoned a little bit. Maybe he could step in and be like a, a Colt McCoy type, even though Colt McCoy has much better placement and he has much better, I would even say arm strength. And we all know Colt McCoy is not known for his arm strength, but I think that's what people see in him. I think he probably like third round somewhere around where I just, I don't see the Rams going after the Rams barely have any draft capital whatsoever. Right. If they spend it on a quarterback, <laughs> I feel like, what are you doing less need? But you know what? Les Snead has done a lot of boneheaded things in recent memories. So maybe it's not think that it's possible they want to try to find insurance for Goff because they've already gotten rid of Gurley and Cooks. I, Goff could be next from that cap purge. Oof, that, that, that. I'm not sure, man. Well, who knows, though? You're right. I mean, they, they've said that they were committed to Cooks and Gurley, and obviously they're not there anymore. And now they their cap situation, especially th- this season, their cap situation is, is dreadful. I don't know the number of dead cap on the top of my head, but I think it's, it's uh, like— yeah. It's got to be. It's of what? Over 30 million, 35 million, something between just those two. I think it's a lot between just Cooks and Gurley, which is insane. And the fact that I don't even think Gurley played a snap on the contract that he signed. It's crazy stuff there. I mean, hopefully the Giants don't find themselves in that scenario with Barkley. I know everybody's a little worried about that, but let's not let's tackle that a long time from now. But anyway, that's my mock. That's my three round mock. We hope you guys enjoyed it. In the end, the Giants (laughs) trade back from four to ten. They pick up Makai Becton. Then they go get Zach Bond in round two. Then they go get Ashton Davis with their second round two pick. With their two round three picks, they take Tyler Biotish. And they take Logan Wilson. So they come out of this thing with two linebackers in Bond and Wilson. One who might be able to play the edge in Bond. An offensive tackle, a deep half safety, and a center. Uh, so I felt like they addressed some needs here and got a lot of value that I liked on the board. Nick, what would you give my mock? What grade would you give it? What grade would I give the mock? So there's definitely a Wisconsin bias as much as you don't want to admit it. But I still like the players that we landed. And the fact that Hennessy was gone for the Biotish pick, I, I can't really knock that. I love the fact that you traded back. I love the fact that the Giants were able to get Zach Vaughn at 36. Will he be available? Probably not. But he was damn well available here. So I love the fact that you made that selection and Ashton Davis. So I'm going to have to give it a, probably just a round out A, I think. Just a good right. solid A. Yeah. Nice. I'll take it. I will take the A. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning into the show. This is going to be one of our – this is another part of our – hopefully our push to the draft, which is going to which is going to likely include daily pods. Really appreciate you guys supporting the show. Again, if you want to support the show, just make sure you download us and subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a rating and review. Uh, but we'll be back shortly. You'll probably you'll be hearing from us tomorrow. From to, uh, sorry, from us tomorrow as we break down Nick's seven round mock draft, which is only Giants, and then answer some of your questions on the mailbag as well. So we'll speak to you guys soon, and have a great rest of your week. Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. 
Listen wherever you get your podcasts.